From Citizen Studios, this is The Mezzanine. I'm Cass Harrington. This is our first episode, so welcome and thanks for joining us. The theme of this show is looking at the ways our past and history shapes what we create in the present. On today's episode, we're going to meet Mike Martinez. He's a guitarist and singer in Asheville. He also goes by the name Mad Mike. His band, Natural Born Leaders, rose to local fame last year when they performed during the racial justice protests. But what makes Mike's music distinct is his ability to blend genres and styles. It's something that speaks to his roots, what he grew up listening to, but it also offers a glimpse of his vision for the future, music without boundaries. We're gonna talk more about that in a moment, but first, here's a snippet of one of his latest solo tracks. It's called I Died, and he performed it for us here at Citizen Studios. In the age of the internet, love too loud, love too distant. You could never love enough. You may have thought that you won't it. It's these moments, and I never get the note, never get enough. Man, I just stuck it out. No doubt I'm my own worst enemy. And you were yours. We adore a life that's never been promised. A love that's never yours, but love is cursed, and I can't put my finger on it. Mixed components on the freight. The in and outs of proper living. 21st century, 21st century, 21st century disgrace. Well, Mike Martinez, I think I should start by saying welcome to the mezzanine. And I also just wanted to say congratulations on all of your recent success. I feel like the past year and a half has been pretty huge for you. Would you agree? I feel like it's been something. I feel the most confused I've ever felt in my entire life. Yeah. Well, that I think some of that confusion like comes through in your music. It seems like you're processing along with the world. And obviously, you're also very politically active as well. <laughs> Usually. I guess, um, so we just heard the song, I Died. And something I heard you say a few times was, is this real life? Is that a little bit of what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, so this... I wrote this with, um, I have a studio, like my own little like home studio, but it's not a home, at home, in Leicester, and there's like a lot of different bands in there, and I was working on this song, and I invited one of the neighbors in the room next door, it was during quarantine, so like, basically, even at our studios, we were all wearing masks and stuff, but I got to collaborate, you know, I've been collaborating with a band for years. Um, the same band for years. And uh, even with the new band, it's a lot of the same members of my old band. Tyler in the room next door came over and was like, I really like what you're doing over here. He's like, I could hear it. And he helped me come up with like the second verse. That's like his, his writing. I've never sang a song that, you know, partially another human wrote. His name's Tyler Boyd. Um, but so the first half of the song was like my experience in quarantine. And, like, I really could relate to also the second half, which is his experience, I imagine, through quarantine. You know, because we're all kind of going through the same experience in a lot of different ways, I guess. Well, I mean, we could talk about that song for this whole episode. Um, but I do I do want to point out, I think it's really lovely how you incorporate different genres. You know, you're whistling, it could be a folk tune, and then you have some hip-hop, and some of your vocals even have, like, a tinge of reggae 
Um, how do you describe your music to folks? Uh, very terribly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the limitations of music, yeah. right? It's hard. You know, it's hard to, I feel like it's hard to describe it. And like, I feel like I never give a satisfactory answer. People are always like, all right, well, that was weird. Um, <laughs> I call it, you know, it's a little bit of everything. And usually I just, I, when people ask me, I kind of just say like, I like to believe that I make good music and that there's a little bit of something for everybody. So if you do listen to folk music, you could relate, you could, you know, kind of, there's like a part that'll catch you. Or if you listen to metal or if you listen to hip hop or if you listen, you know, um, cause I listen to everything and, you know, I feel like most people do whether they want to admit it or not. And I'm not singular in this. I feel like a lot of artists are like breaking the idea that I have to be a hip hop artist or I have to be a country singer or, you know, look at Taylor Swift. She's a huge pop star and she started off as a country singer, you know? Um, what is Taylor Swift? Yeah, what, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I think in many ways people have looked to you for inspiration, even community organizing, um, following the Black Lives Matter protests when you were performing on the back of a truck. Well, has it been kind of a precarious, uncomfortable position to garner this popularity and success on the heels of tragedy? Kind of. I guess in my head, like, I, I still kind of tell myself that I'm not successful um, in a lot of ways. <laughs> but just because, you know, I have no... Wait, wait, wait. Explain that. How are you not successful? I just feel like I don't, you know, my vision of what I wanted to do is not necessarily what I'm doing. Uh, but, you know, also... I'm doing things that child me is like sick, dude. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing that, you know. So but so like, I guess success in a way, I feel like I'm successful because like I get to do what I love on a day-to-day -day basis. But like in my head, I'm like, I don't have a lot to show for it. But also, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm hard on myself, I guess. <laughs> mm, I think you are. Well, then what, what is Mike Martinez's vision? that you haven't tapped into yet? I don't know. Ultimately, I'd like to just change the music industry, right? Obviously, like, I'm very politically active in that. I think that, like, social justice is a plays a major role in my music, and I think, you know, it historically has played a major role in music in general. But I think with, with like, the inclusiveness of all genres in my music, like, I think that that's something that I'd like to see more people do because I think music itself is still very segregated and I think that I should it be I mean if you go to a record I think about it at record stores a lot honestly not not Citizen Vinyl not Coda but uh in a lot of record stores it's almost like the records are separated by race you know but it's by genre but it's by race but I don't see a difference between like Led Zeppelin and Santana, you know, they should be in the same same section of the record store. Santana shouldn't be in Latin music because he's playing rock and roll. I mean, even just the name Latin music is problematic. Exactly. I mean, it's like, you know, it's not like he's playing like uh, salsa or whatever, you know, that's not, you know, there may be elements of that in his music, but overall, you know, he's a rock star. That's what he does. He slings that guitar around, you know, and Kendrick Lamar being in hip hop, Kendrick Lamar is obviously a rapper, but like his music, his music is jazz, it's soul, it's, you know what I mean? It's like a lot of things. Um, 
and I think, you know, I, I maybe take it a little more extreme or I kind of step a little further out the box than I, I would say like most people do. But I think I think that that's like the future of music. And I'm not saying that I think that I'm the future of music, but like, you know, maybe I'll inspire somebody who is or something like You're that. You're part of this rising tide that wants to break down those those boxes. Yeah, yeah. I see it. I see it. And even even in the genre of bluegrass, this like reclamation of the heritage of African-Americans in bluegrass and its lineage to Africa. But I want to talk about your history. So you're originally from Union Township, New Jersey, which I'd never heard of until I started preparing for this. So town of about 50,000 people, pretty racially diverse. Um, Tell us about what it was like growing up there. Um. It's hard to like articulate, I feel like, in a lot of ways, because it is like, it was a super diverse, there's like literally over a hundred nations represented in the high school I graduated with. I think there's elements of that that I miss. Like, it was very diverse, but also at the same time, you know, it's right next to New York City, which, you know, in the early 2000s, one of the most segregated school districts in the country. I lived in a part of Union called Box Hall. Fox Hall is the black section of town. And my friends, I had friends, all kinds of friends. And like, you know, I could, you could almost, you know, when you play it back, I hear like, oh, the people are like, oh, you live in Vox Hall. And it's like, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, like it's got a connotation, like a negative connotation to it. But uh, I think it prepared me for even my like high school. I still, there was still like a black and a white cafeteria in my high school. Mm-hmm. Like where, I mean, and it wasn't like, all the black kids have to go to this room or all the white kids have to go there. It's like self-segregated. But the, you know, the teachers didn't stop it. The school didn't stop it. They did now. It's different now. Um, my, uh, one of my friends is a teacher there now and they're like, yeah, it's not like that anymore. They like basically were like, you have to go to this cafeteria. And, you know, I think that that causes more like unity than what I grew up with there. Did growing up there spark some of your activism or did that happen later when you moved to Asheville? I think that that happened moving to Asheville. Yeah, like all of this. I wasn't even, I wouldn't have even considered myself a musician before I moved to to this part of town, you know, and um, or part of town, part of the world. Um, when I first moved here, I went by the name Black Mike. And I played, I played out with that name for a long, for not a long time. It didn't take me very long to realize that that's a problematic name. Just by the way people would like say it when I would play. I couldn't find a job when I first moved here um, until I changed my last name on my job applications to Martins. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a little different. So, well, (laughs) why did you decide early on to go by Black Mike? What, What was the impetus behind that? In New Jersey, I grew up around a lot of mics, Mm -hmm. and in one group of friends, there was like seven mics, Uh and there was like Portuguese mic, there was black mic, there was, one dude got to keep his name, I don't know why, but there was Mike Alvarez, and I was black mic, and I was like, oh, well, you know, when I started performing, I was like, I don't really like Mike Martinez. The older I get, though, the more I'm like, well, maybe it should just be my name, but I think everybody settled on black mic. But it... In a different context in Asheville, it took on a different meaning. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I didn't even know people still cared about the Civil War until I moved to the South. I was like, oh, wow, like this is a, this is a thing, huh? We are arguing, we're disputing what happened. This is what's going on around here. And I think it's more apparent how 
systemic things are in this area in particular. Cause you know, you could go to Atlanta and you see like black professionals and like, and, and where I grew up, while it's still segregated, you can go to a black lawyer, you can go to a black doctor, you could, you know, there's an option, you know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas like here, yeah. Like I could see people like me in all facets of society up there. But when I moved here, it's like, I was a pharmacy tech when I moved here. And I got a job at Walmart who said, oh, in a couple, you could, you know, sign on. And then in three months, we'll make you a pharmacy tech. I was like, I have my license and everything. And they kept me as a cashier for three years. And it's like, you know, all these things were happening at the same time. And and I think, you know, kind of, you know, I got fed up. I'm tired of it. We're going to take a short break and then we'll talk some more. Stay with us. Hey there, Cass here. So the Mezzanine Podcast is a startup, and like most startups, we could use some support. If you or your business would like to sponsor an episode, please get in touch. You can email us at info at citizenvinyl.com. That's info at citizenvinyl.com. Your contribution will help us build out this program, as well as our vision to create more job opportunities for youth in media and audio production. We really appreciate your help. Meantime, we'll get back to the show. This is The Mezzanine. I'm Cass Harrington, and I'm speaking with Asheville musician Mike Martinez. You've had a handful of odd jobs. Sorry, I don't want to say odd. Different different jobs. jobs. Uh, Physical therapist assistant, um, you know, restaurant jobs. Which would you say, you know, you learned the most about humanity from? Moving furniture. Really? Just because you kind of like, you know, you see how other people live. And I've done that for like seven years. Honestly, it's my favorite job I've ever had, too. Yeah, you meet people on like one of the most stressful days of their lives. Right, right. And, you know, I feel like you don't, movers don't get credit because they're almost like, they're almost like psychiatrists for for the people that they're moving. Usually people are stressed out. Think of the reasons why people move, divorce, death, their families growing or or they have to downside, they can't afford the place that they're in anymore. So it's usually you catch these people in like very um, stressful situations, but like, and you're handling all their stuff, which, you know, I know how I feel. I don't want, I don't even, I wouldn't even hire movers, honestly. (laughs) It's like, I don't want you touching my things. Um, But uh, yeah, so I feel like you can really, you know, when people are in those situations, you learn a lot about um, you know, how we, how we all function and tick and like what means the most to these people in these moments. And, uh, you can learn a lot of their history. You learn a lot, a lot of their family's history through moving furniture. You learn a lot of the history of, of the area that they're moving to. Yeah. I've, I've like gotten to travel the country doing that too. While I was touring, playing music, I was also touring, moving people's stuff across the country. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. Was there an object from New Jersey that you were like most insistent on keeping with you to this day? I threw, before I moved away from New Jersey, I threw out everything that I own. Really? Yeah. Why? I was depressed. <laughs> I didn't think that I'd be here much longer. Um, so I kind of just got rid of everything. I, I like threw away all, I have no idea what my writing before I was 18 looked like. Wow. Yeah, I like threw literally everything, anything you could think of. I threw threw it away. I threw away all my mom's stuff too, which is weird. She kind of it was like we were going through a rough time. We were like, 
We were basically being evicted from our house. I was 17, actually, when that when that happened, when I did all this. And uh, it was, like, around the holidays, and I was already very depressed. And she was depressed, and she's like, all right, well, we're going to move. My aunt and uncle were like, you guys can come stay with us. Uh, after the series of unfortunate events of other people saying we could live with them and then taking it back. And so your aunt and uncle were here in Asheville or in the... They were in New Jersey. So they were, you know, they were like, you guys can come live with us, but we're going to move to North Carolina in a few in a few months. So my mom ended up moving down here and I stayed with my dad in New Jersey for like another year. I moved down for like a couple months and I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> and I went back up there Um and then you changed your mind. And then I changed my Oh, I kind of got myself into trouble. And I had to stay there for a little bit. And then I came <laughs> then I came back here after after I was done with all that. So, yeah, and I think that this was the this, you know, became like detox almost. I was like able to like come here and like find after I like got in trouble and I was like all depressed, you know, all these things led to like a very specific moment where like basically I almost I endangered myself and a whole lot of people and like ended up having to deal with the law for like a year. You were incarcerated? No, I wasn't. Thank, thank God. So I, you know, I, I felt like it was time to like find something. If I stayed in New Jersey, I don't think I'd be alive. So I came down here. And my uncle opened up a few physical therapy clinics, and I helped him do that. And that's where that came in, that that's job. Where that's where that came in, yeah. So he's the one. He had a physical therapy clinic in New Jersey, and I worked there for a little bit before they moved. They shut down. I helped them shut it down. And then when they moved down here, I helped them open up their first one here. So that was kind of the, the move. It's a big shift in your late teens, 19. Like, I, I can't imagine. What made you stay? here um music I'm I wasn't doing anything productive with my life I was reading a lot at the time I was I was doing a lot of reading and I started doing singer-songwriter stuff up until like six years ago somebody was like do you want to rap and I was like yeah I'll try it out you know and so I started rapping it was definitely yeah it was a, it was a time we're, we're thankful that you're here and you're part of Asheville's music scene and I think you are doing the work. I think your vision is happening with every time you step on stage or just talking right now and shedding light on the limitations of the music industry. That's a big part of the work. Yeah. Were your parents into music? My mom listened to a lot, like a lot of gospel and like also, but also she has a wide range of things that she would listen to too. Like I started listening to Franz Ferdinand because of my mom wow. or like Interpol or she has a... Uh, an eclectic taste in music. And uh, so I kind of get that from her. And my dad has always been a hip-hop head, interestingly enough. Or used to be. Maybe I don't know so much anymore, but he used to be a hip-hop head. And so I learned a lot about hip-hop from him. And my mom had a long-term boyfriend that was really into hip-hop, too. So I learned a lot from him about hip-hop. So, like, who were your early hip-hop influences? I love, you know, I grew up next to New York, so Jay-Z, Biggie, Nas, Fugees. I absolutely love, my favorite artist of all time is Lauryn Hill, next to the Beatles. I can see that. I can see that. So when was it that you started listening to music that, like, 
wasn't in your parents' collection? Like, when were you like, okay, this is just for me? In high school. I was listening to metal. I was listening to a lot of metal, and my parents were not into it. They're like, you're listening to the devil's music. And I'm like, I mean, if you read these lyrics, you'd be like, you'd think otherwise. So, like, like what? I was listening to some emo, emo, hardcore type things, like, from first to last, or, like, uh... Of course, Rage Against the Machine was a was a part of it, and I did listen to some Tool. I had an uncle who burnt me like forty CDs when I was in high school, and he gave me anything from like Black Sabbath to like Conway Twitty, <laughs> like like all these random you know CDs. And he was he was really into music. He's actually the family member that I think may have seen me the most play music at this point. One of them. But yeah, I don't really come from a very musical family. Like, nobody plays. My grandmother sings a lot, but nobody actually, except for my cousin. My cousin went to Berkeley. One one cousin of mine. I think for some folks, it doesn't require musically inclined exposure with your family. More just like having tuned ears. I always had instruments around. I've I've had a guitar since I was three years old. I've like... I didn't play guitar till I was 18, basically till I was 18, but uh, I always had a guitar in my room um, growing up. Every few years, I would just go in my backyard and break it for some reason. (laughs) But I played cello. I played cello uh, from third grade till I graduated high school. So that's how I learned music, it's through that. Well, um, could we take a listen to um, one of your newest tracks, Something in the Water? And then we'll talk some more. Sure. Relax, she 
say I move past the cave. Something in the water was something I, or something I discovered. Move too fast, but come on slow. Open here, the strongest door. This game's the biggest joke. Relax, she said, pass the care. Gosh, thank you, Mike. Um, that was Something in the Water by Mike Martinez. Many of us know you from the group Natural Born Leaders. You also perform with the Beekeepers. What does performing and writing solo offer for you? Uh, I think it allows me to have a level of honesty in my music that I don't, wouldn't normally express with a band just because I feel like in a way they're you know, representatives of my personal experience, and I don't think that, you know, you could always relay that with a group of individuals who don't share the same experience. So I think I have an outlet to be more intimate, like more personal. I could speak more personally in the songs versus the music that I make with the bands are politically motivated and not so much about me. Well, that song felt so deep and I it starts out with this like very guttural sound how did when did you realize you could do that (laughs) like this like like growl from your throat I really admire people who can do that (laughs) probably listening to Sublime growing up (laughs) listening to Bradley Knoll you know he he kind of he's got that that elements of that and you know I think Sublime was one of my favorite groups growing up Sublime, Sublime and Nirvana are like my two, my introduction to like rock and roll or like punk rock or, I feel like our music doesn't necessarily, or any of the music that I've made doesn't really have, it's not really, I wouldn't consider it punk, but the attitude is, I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, that's that's what I, what I grew up in. I grew up around, you know, in the punk scene in New Jersey and New York in the early 2000s, late 90s was, you know, something something to be seen um for sure and uh i guess you know when when you're asking about how i become politically motivated too and in a way like a lot of the punk scene is most punk music is very political (laughs) so that you know that is an element you know when i was in high school listening to metal i was also listening to a lot of punk i was sneaking to new york city to go see punk shows 
you know, cut in class to go skate in New York City. I think that that culture comes through a lot in, in this stuff. Yeah, <laughs> past is present. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Mike Martinez, thank you so much for coming on the program and sharing your vision and music with us. It's been It's been awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The Mezzanine is a production of Citizen Studios on the third floor at Citizen Vinyl in Asheville, North Carolina. The theme music was composed and produced by Gar Ragland. This episode was also engineered by Gar. Eric Piper is our graphic designer. Kirsten Clower manages the website. Special thanks for this episode goes out to Mike Martinez and to his dog, Goose, who joined us in the studio. You can hear her around 15 minutes into the conversation. And I'm your host, Cass Harrington. If you like what you heard, it would mean so much if you could give us some stars, subscribe, and share with your friends. See you next time.